Jesus once told his disciples that if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. I've often thought about that, what Jesus meant by that. Now, I'm not one that, that believed that Jesus literally meant that we can move a physical mountain. I believe he talk, was talking about obstacles that stand in your way, things that hinder you from being all that you can be in Christ and experiencing all that you can be. So I often ask the question, why is it that I can't overcome the obstacles in my life? Why is it that I, we can't overcome obstacles that we face? And I came to the conclusion that it's because we live our lives in fear. We live our lives in fear. At least I do. You know, when, when I think there's an opportunity to really do something for God, I step back in fear. And I believe I'm not alone. I believe others of you resemble that remark, that, that we want to do something great. We, we really want to venture out in, into the unknown, and we want to experience something we've never experienced before, but, but we seem to be gripped by fear. And so we, we never do anything. We never move out. We never do it. I think the majority of Christians are that way, and I believe the majority of churches are that way. We, we just don't venture out because we're comfortable or we lack the way things are. I think many things lead us to be fearful or afraid. Uncertainty leads us to be fearful or afraid. We're just uncertain of what it might entail. Maybe we, we might have to do something different or we might have to change and, and because of that, 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 that we were fearful. Or maybe we do not know exactly what it is that we're supposed to do. Or, or maybe we were afraid we'll do something wrong. Or maybe we misunderstood what we're supposed to do. And so instead of moving out in faith, we step back in fear and we never do anything. We're comfortable. And we don't want to rock the boat, so to speak. This morning we begin a new series that I hope will lead us out of the valley of fear and to the mountaintop of faith. Because I don't know about y'all, I do not want to live in fear anymore. I want to live in faith. I want to walk by faith and not by sight. So we're going to begin by looking at Hebrews chapter 11. This is one of the great passages in the Bible. Uh, it's, it's, it's probably known to you as the, the, the hall of fame of the faithful. As the writer of Hebrews, we do not know who it was other than this. We know it's the Holy Spirit. That's what we know. We may not know who the physical author was, but we know that God is behind every phrase, every thought, every idea, every word that we're going to look at today in Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to look at these for the next several weeks under the heading, the overarching heading of faith to move mountains. We'll look at these words this morning in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 7, under the heading, Stand Firm in Faith. Let's look at what the writer says in Hebrews 11, 1 through 7. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks even though 
he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Some interesting words. And so we want to, we want to look at this. So the first thing we need to see, we need to look at faith examined. We need to examine it to see what it is. Notice what verse 1 says. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Let's break it down a little bit. The first phrase you see there is, is, is being sure. That word being sure means substance or it means assurance. It originally meant to stand on or to stand under, which was used of a foundation. So the idea is that faith is a foundation that we stand on. It's something firm. It's something solid. So we stand on faith. The next phrase you see there, faith is being certain of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. That phrase, certain of what we do not see, is the idea of conviction. So when we put it all together, we said that faith is the foundation for all we believe. It's the foundation of things we hope for and have not seen that in reality are true. Everything is because of faith. That's why we claim to it. That's why we, we, we have that idea. Faith is not wishful thinking. It's absolute certainty. Faith is not pie-in-the-sky theology. It's concrete reality. But faith def does defy everything that's normal. It goes against the grain. To the unbelieving eye, it does not make sense. That's why so many people have problems with, with faith today. That's why the world has problems with faith today. Why so many people struggle with it. Because faith defies what the world says. If we choose to live our life by the world's standards, guess what? We're going to get some comfort. We're going to get some prosperity. We're going to get some popularity. We're going to get some power. But if we choose to live our lives by a God whom we have not seen... In a Jesus whom we've not touched and we've not felt, it's going to be by faith. And if we do that, guess what? It might mean we're going to suffer a little pain. It might mean that we're going to experience loss. It might mean that we're going to feel, figure some, uh, experience some discomfort, some unpopularity, some ridicule, some persecution. Yes, we might even experience death. We talked, we had a guy speak on Wednesday night. Uh, a pastor from Nigeria, and he said the difference between the churches in southern Nigeria and those in northern Nigeria. We come in the south, and we, and we have a great time. We do our meals. He said we come to church. We don't have to worry about it. In the north, if they go to church, they go to die. They go to die because they will be killed. He said that's the difference. He said, but they go anyway. He said we're comfortable in the south. He said much like they are here in the states. But he said in the northern part of Nigeria where, the, where Boko Haram and, and, and the Muslims are there, he said, if they go to church, there's a chance they could die. But they still go because they did not fear death in that situation. 
But you see, because we live by faith, we do it anyway. Because we know, we know that it's much better to serve God now and live for Him now and experience the glory in the future than it is to not live for Him now and suffer in the future. Faith defies what the world says. Faith enables us to understand what God does. Faith enables us to see what, what, what others cannot see. Faith enables us to do what others cannot do. And an unbelieving world has yet to see that faith because they do not see what God can do. They do not see what faith can do. They don't see it. They've never seen it in action. To me, the greatest evidence of faith, the greatest thing that we can build our faith on is Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Let me submit to you that if you can believe that one verse... If you can believe Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth, then you have no problem with the virgin birth. You have no problem with the Jesus who lived a sinless life. You have no problem with the Jesus who went to the cross and died for your sins and my sins. You have no problem with the Jesus that was raised from life on the third day. And you have no problem with the Jesus who is coming again to take you home. But it's going to hinge on Genesis 1, verse 1. If you deny that verse, then you've denied all the Bible. Because if God cannot create everything that exists out of nothing, then he cannot raise somebody from the dead. But if he can create everything that exists out of nothing, then that means he controls life. That's exactly what the writer of Hebrews says. Notice what he says in verse 3. He said, by faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Underline, circle this word. By faith, we understand. He doesn't say we guess, we speculate, we hypothesize, or we fantasize. He says we understand. We don't need scientists to tell us about how the earth was created. We know how it was created. We already understand it. And because we understand it, guess what? We move on to more important things. God said it. That settles it. I'm moving on. We get to move on to more important things. What is that? That's called living by faith. Because God has created the world. We don't involve ourselves in that stuff. We're going to start now. What does it mean to live by faith? That's faith examined. That's what it looks like. That, that's what, what it is. But now we want to see how faith is elaborated. The writer of Hebrews examines it. He says, this is what it kind of it is. This helps you understand what it is. And then he goes on. He says in verse 2, he says, the ancients were commended for. Commended what? For, commended for their faith. They were commended for what they believed. They were commended for what they did. In verse 4, he began to elaborate on how this faith was lived out. He gives us three examples. The first example is that of Abel. You know the story of Abel. You know, Abel and his, and his brother Cain. You know how it is. Look at verse 4. He says, by faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks even though he is dead. You see that three times in one verse, by faith, by faith, by faith. Everything that Abel did, he did it by faith. In this context, what is it? 
He offered a better sacrifice. He gave a better sacrifice. You know the story. Abel was the second son of Adam and Eve. He had a brother by the name of Cain. Cain was a farmer. Abel was a shepherd. Cain brought, it came time to make a sacrifice, and Cain brought fruit of the land because he was a farmer, and he presented it to God. But it says that Abel brought a lamb, a lamb, and he made a sacrifice for God. And the Bible says that God accepted Abel's sacrifice, he says, because it was better. It was a better sacrifice. So the question I have to ask, how did Abel know it would be a better sacrifice? How did he know it? Well, the Bible says that faith comes from hearing. He heard about it from somewhere. So I believe as they sat around the campfire at home, Adam and Eve talked about their time in the Garden of Eden. They were instructing their children. They was in the Garden of Eden, instructing their children. And Adam and Eve talked about the time when they sinned against God. And they lived in disobedience. And then they said the only way we could find forgiveness, the only way that we could find anything that could cover up our sin was an innocent lamb. Abel begins to understand, if I sin and I give a lamb, it will cover over my sins. So he, by faith, he believed what he heard, he believed it, and he offered a sacrifice. And the Bible says that it was better, it was better than Cain's sacrifice. Here's the truth I want you to get out of that. Faith impacts our worship. Faith impacts our worship. It impacted Abel's worship. So how does it affect our worship today? How does faith impact our worship? Well, we know from Scripture that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We also know that the wages of sin is death. We know that we are all condemned to die because of our sins. And God's judgment is going to come upon us because of sins. But God in his infinite love for humanity, and I love this, he stepped out of time and he stepped out of space and he became a man so that he could have a relationship with us. Stepped out of time and he stepped out of space to experience this. Paul said it this way. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. He goes on in verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus Christ became our substitute Jesus Christ became our lamb that covers over our sins. So because, of what, of what, uh, because we have faith in what Jesus Christ did upon the cross of Calvary, because we have faith that he purchased us, because we have faith that he can forgive us of our sins, guess what? It impacts our worship. It affects the way we worship him. Listen, if you do not have faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, you can't worship you can't. Your worship is unacceptable. You can't do it. 
because you don't have a real understanding of what worship is. Worship has to hinge upon what Jesus Christ did upon the cross. Because of him, we can worship. Because of Jesus Christ, we can do that. How is your faith impacting your worship today? How is it impacting your worship today? Oh, how he loves us is that way that song sings. Oh, how he loves us. He loves us. The second example he gives us after Abel is a man by the name of Enoch. We don't know as much about Enoch. We know that Enoch was the great-grandfather of Noah. Genesis 5 makes a distinction about Enoch that's not made of anybody else up to that time or after him until you get to Noah. Genesis chapter 5 verse 24 says this, Enoch walked with God, then he was no more because God took him away. The key to understanding that phrase, that passage is Enoch walked with God. That's the key. Everybody before that, in chapter 5 of Genesis, it says he lived and he died. He lived and he died. He lived and he died until you get to Enoch. And it says that Enoch walked with God. See, Enoch learned something. He just somewhere in the past, he said, you know, if I have a relationship with God, if I have communion with God, it's better for me than just living and dying. And he discovered it's, it's more important than just live. It's also the way that you live your life. And he chose to walk with God. He chose to have communion with God. When you see that phrase, walk with God, it's talking about communion. It's talking about fellowship. It says living for God is what he was doing. He chose to live a life of faith in a God who exists. He said, God exists, so therefore I'm going to live for him. And I'm going to live to honor him. And because of that, he didn't have to die. It says he walked with God. Faith impacts our walk. With, with Abel, faith impacts our worship. With Enoch, faith impacts our walk. How is faith impacting your walk today? As followers of Jesus Christ... We should live the way that Jesus would have us to live. Listen to the way that John tells about it in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word... God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Did you hear that last phrase? If you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, then you got to walk like Jesus. you got to talk like Jesus. you got to act like Jesus. you got to do it. Now, that's not my word. That's the word according to God is the way I'm reading that. You have to be able to walk like Jesus. You want to know how Jesus walked? You better get to know Jesus in this book. If you want to know how he lived his life, you better get to know Jesus in this book. 
You want to know how to understand what it means to walk by faith? You better get to know Jesus in this book. Because if you're not living according to his standards, if you're not living according to him, you're not obeying him, and you're not walking by faith, you know what you better do? You better go back and make sure you've been to the cross. You better go back and make sure you've been at that place. Is your faith impacting your walk? Does it impact the way you live your life? It should be. The next person we see is Noah. We know a lot more about Noah. We know that it was through Noah and his sons that God saved the entire world from the flood. We know that. Look at what it says in verse 7 about Noah. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah believed in things that were not seen. You know, up to the time of Noah, it had never rained. There had never been a flood upon the earth. Nobody had ever seen rain. Nobody had ever seen flood. I remember reading somebody, he said, you know, God came to Noah and said, hey, Noah, it's going to rain. He said, that's like God coming up saying, hey, it's going to bleak tomorrow. Bleak? What the heck is bleak? That's the point. We don't know what it is. But God says it's going to happen. So God comes to Noah and says, it's going to rain. Noah said, I don't know what it is, but I believe you. Not only nobody had ever seen rain, nobody had ever seen a flood, probably nobody had ever seen a boat, especially a boat, a ship built miles away from the water. But yet, he, he, he began to do it. He believed what God said, and so he went about doing the work that God would have him to do. It impacted his work. And the Bible says that for 120 years, Noah built the ark. 120 years. Now, I'm sure during that time, he was the object of a lot of jokes. I'm sure during that time, he faced a lot of criticism. He faced a lot of ridicule. Uh, people would come and, and scoff and laugh at Noah. And, Noah, you think it might rain today? <laughs> yeah, Noah, you look like an idiot. Come on. I'm sure he suffered through all that. But nevertheless, he kept building and he kept being faithful because faith impacts our work. It impacts the way we work. How does your faith impact your work today? Listen to the way Peter says it. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 7. First of all, you must understand that in the last day, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as, as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Did you notice the connection between the flood and the pending judgment? Did you notice the connection that we have in that passage. God promised he was going to flood the earth, and he did. 
God has promised he's going to destroy this earth, and he will. And we accept that by faith. We believe it by faith. So because we believe there's coming a time that God is going to destroy the earth, it should impact the way we work for Christ. It should impact everything we do. We don't know where it's, when it's going to happen. We don't know how it's going to happen. We don't know uh, the day it's going to happen, but we know it's going to happen. And so because of that, we work. We should work for Jesus like there's no tomorrow. Everything we do, we ought to be working for Jesus. There's no time for rest. There's no time for that. When you close your eyes for the last time, then you can rest. Then you can rest. It says in the passage that by his faith he condemned the world. How is that possible? How is that possible that he could condemn the world? Well, guess what? When the floods came, his faith was validated. And all those people that didn't believe were condemned. But Noah was declared righteous because he believed. And the same thing will happen someday, my friends. God is going to come in judgment. Jesus Christ is going to come, and he's going to judge the quick and the dead. He's going to judge all people. And all those people who scoff, all those people that did not believe, they will be condemned, and we will be justified. Noah's faith impacted his work. But not only did Noah's faith impact his work, Noah's faith also impacted his witness. It impacted his witness. It says in this passage that, that because of his faith, he was able to save his family. But 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. So what was going on? As Noah was hammering, as Noah was sawing, he was probably singing praise songs, to Jesus, probably to God. You know. He was probably witnessing. He was proclaiming the gospel. He was preaching as best he knew how. Imagine that, my friends. I think he was a Baptist preacher. You know why? He preached 120 years and didn't see one convert. <laughs> Nobody ever walked down the aisle. Oh, if I walk down the aisle, everybody might know I've done something wrong. I ain't going to do that. Woo, doggers. I said, guess what? God already knows you've done it wrong. It don't matter. He ain't doing it for us. You're doing it for him. Preached 120 years and didn't see one convert. But you know what? He kept being faithful. He kept preaching. He kept being faithful. He kept doing what God called him to do. Why? Because faith impacts our witness. And we recognize. We recognize, or we better recognize, that Jesus is coming again. And when he comes, there is no second chance. So we ought to be witnessing. We ought to be telling people about Jesus like he's going to come tomorrow. He says in this passage, by his faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. How do we obtain this righteousness that comes by faith? How do we get it? We get it through faith in Jesus Christ. That's how we get it. Romans chapter 6, verse 4, Paul says it this way. 
For just as through the disobedience of one man, parentheses, Adam, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. We were made righteous through Christ. We're made righteous through Jesus. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we can experience the righteousness that comes from God. So let me ask you a question. How's your faith impacting your witness? How's your faith impacting your witness? We've examined faith. We've seen faith elaborated in, 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 in Abel and in Enoch and in Noah. If you're like me, I want to know how can I experience this faith? I want to live like that, don't you? I, I want to live like that when God spoke, I believed it. How, do we, how can we experience that faith? That leads us to the next thing. Talk about a faith that changes the way we live our lives. Let's look at faith experience. Look at verse 6. I purposely left it out. Guys, this is a great verse of Scripture. Man, if you can memorize a verse, memorize this one. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. I thought about this passage. I actually struggled with this passage for two days. Not because I didn't know what it said, but because I wanted to know how to communicate it effectively. It, when I wrote it all out, it was about this long on paper, and I needed it to be about this long. So here's what I decided to do. I'm just going to cut to the chase and tell you what it means, all right? First thing I want you to notice about that passage, look at this. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Folks, that is a truth. That is a fact. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. That's a truth. But here's the other thing. Did you know the opposite is true, is true as well? That means with faith, you can please God. With faith, you can please God. I don't want you I've kind of got my attention up. Well, how can I please God? I want to know, how is it that I can please God? I heard one guy comment on this. He goes, he goes with faith, we make God happy. With faith, we make God happy. You want to make God happy? Notice what he says. He tells us three things that we have got to do if we're going to have this faith. He says you've got to believe in a person, you've got to believe in his provision, and you've got to believe in his promise. And it's all right there in that passage. Notice the first thing he says in this passage. He says, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. The first thing you've got to believe, you've got to have faith that God exists. I've told you before, two great theological truths I want you to write down. There is a God and you are not him. Understand that. You have got to believe there is a God. This is not just a God, it's God. He is God. You have got to believe that. Now, ultimately, you've got to believe that Jesus Christ is God. Okay, but I don't want to get involved in all the semantics here. Jesus Christ reveals God. He's the perfect representation. He is the manifestation of God's presence in the human flesh. He is God. So you have got to believe that there is a God. You've got to accept that he is God. You've got to accept that person of God. Not only do you have to accept the person, you have to accept his provision. Notice this phrase here. Because anyone who comes to him, comes to who? Comes to God. 
the one that you admit that exists. Okay, God, I admit that you, you exist. Now I want to approach you. Now I want to come into your presence. That's the word that's used there. It's called approaching. It's coming into the presence of. So anyone who comes to God, God wants us to have a relationship with him. God wants us to have fellowship with him. God wants us to have intimacy with him. He wants us to be able to approach him. Now, in Bible, the way that you approach God is through Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said it. He said, no one comes to the Father except through me. He said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. I'm not one of many ways. I'm not one of many truths. I'm not one of many lives. He goes, I'm the only way, I'm the only truth, I'm the only life. And even if you want to get to God, you want to go through me. And the writer of Hebrews illustrates this wonderfully throughout this, uh, throughout this passage. In Hebrews 4, 16, he says this. This is the same place he's using the word approach. He goes, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence. Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence. He also says it again in Hebrews 7, 25. Therefore, I love this. Therefore, he is able to save completely those, those who come to God through Jesus. That says through him, but he's talking about Jesus. I love that. I mean, if you... Say, say that, uh, we'll go say that, we'll say that with me, all right? He is able to save completely. Say, save completely. Say it. Save completely. Not partially, not half-heartedly. He is able to save completely those that come to him through Jesus. I say he saves them finally, fully, freely, and forever is the way he does it. And then he uses it one more time in this passage in Hebrews 10, verse 22, he says, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. Throughout the book of Hebrews, he talks about getting in the presence of God, drawing in the presence of God. By faith, we believe there is a God and that he's provided a way for us to have access to him. We believe that. So you got to believe in the person. You got to believe in his provision. And you got to believe in the promise. Notice what the passage says. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That's God's promise. What is that promise? The promise is grace and mercy that he pours out on all who come to him in faith. He says, if you will earnestly come before him, acknowledge that he's true, acknowledge that you can't get to him to Jesus Christ, and you come honestly to him, he's going to reward you with grace, and he's going to reward you with mercy. He's going to reward you with his presence. The Bible says we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, not of works, lest any man would boast. He says, when you come before Jesus, when you come before God, in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, you experience the promise of grace and his abiding presence with you. Only then, hear me, only then will you ever be pleasing to God. The Bible says all of your righteous acts are like filthy rags. There's nothing you can do except right here. 
And once you come to God in faith, you please to God. How do we reveal that we have this kind of faith? How can we prove it? By the way we live our lives. Doesn't save us, but if we are saved, it will be evident in our life. How so? It will impact your worship. It'll impact your walk. It'll impact your work. It will impact your witness. All those things will be evidenced in your life. And listen, when you're living that way, God's going to speak to you. He is. He's going to speak to you, just like he did to Abel, just like he did to Enoch, just like he did to Noah. He's going to speak to you, and here's what he's going to say. He says, I'm about to ask you to do something. I'm about to ask you to do something that you don't quite understand, and I just want you to believe me. I just want you to trust me. Wait a minute, God. Wait a minute, God. Could you kind of tell me what it's going to be before I make that commitment? He goes, no. I just want you to trust me. And when you have that kind of faith, guess what? You will be able to move mountains. There won't be anything that can stand in your way because you are walking in faith and you're not walking by sight. And we'll be able to say to that mountain, get away from me because I'm walking in faith. I'm walking in faith. And you will no longer be gripped by fear. You will no longer be hampered by fear because as we learned Wednesday night, fear and faith cannot coexist. They cannot coexist. We will no longer be gripped by fear and indecision because faith and fear cannot coexist. If you're afraid, let me tell you, let me prescribe a dose of faith. If you have fear, you're undecided, let me prescribe a dose of faith. Do you want that kind of faith? Do you want the kind of faith that moves mountains? First thing you need to do, you got to come to Jesus. If you'll come to Jesus in faith, just don't say, you know, look what I, Jesus, I don't understand everything, but I know this. That if I do not have a relationship with you, I'm never going to get to God. And I'm never going to experience glory. I'm never going to get to shout, hallelujah, I'm home. For some of you, you might need a relationship with Jesus Christ. And for others of you, can you just, you're kind of like me. I hope you're like, well, maybe you're like me. You just find that you don't do anything because you live in fear. You're just afraid. That's not from God. That's from Satan. And say, say, God, I want to be able to move mountains. I trust you, God. I trust you, Jesus. I know you're my Lord and Savior. But I've been so steeped in, 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 in my past. I've been so steeped in this that I've never ventured out. I've never done anything for your name. Oh, God, call me out of my comfort. God, call me out of my complacency. God, call me out of my apathy. God, call me to move mountains for you. Oh, God, give me faith. 
Some of you need to do that this morning. For others, said, I need a church home. I need a place where I can come and I can be, be involved in, in a church that, that wants to serve, that wants to minister, that, that, that wants, to, wants to soar new heights for Christ. That was a Freudian slip, folks. That was not supposed to be in there. Or maybe it was. Maybe it was. Because I believe with God, all things are possible. Without God, nothing's possible. In a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation, a time for you to respond to what you've heard. And I know we're running a little late, but that's okay. That's okay. We've been worshiping God. That's okay. Matter of fact, I might just preach again at 1115. But it might be different. You might want to come. I might say something different at 1115. I don't know what I'm going to say. Would you stand with me?